us old timers, there's a few of us in the room, us old timers are still not used to the startup of the new year, school year, and all that's associated with the startup of the school year coming this early in August. But it does. And so at the later service today, Patrick and Danielle um, and the whole church gathered for the second service, we will pray over the kids that come today and we will, we, we call it, it's, it, I inherited it, it's been going on here for some years, the blessing of the backpacks. And so we'll pray for the kids and we've got, a, we've got something that we give them all, right? And we pray for the teachers and the administrators and the school system. And so you have to indulge me. Um, my heart and my mind and my prayers this week have been about that second service more than both services. So it's a little bit skewed to later in the afternoon or later in the morning, but the scriptures are the same. I don't know about you, but I know that one of the reasons my life has been as blessed and good as it has been is because of the teachers that I had when I was young. Now, my first teachers were my own family. Uh, you know, I was, I was taught many, 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 many things before I was entrusted to the school system. In those days, there was no kindergarten where I lived, and so I, I started school first grade at six. But by that time, my mom, my dad, my grandmother, grandfather, both of them, aunts and uncles, others in my life, had taught me many things. And I was already a child of the church. I was already hearing and observing what happened on a Sunday. And as I grew, I found that more and more there were among my many teachers who were in the systems that I was entrusted to, those who pointed me in a good direction. Those who spoke to me of things that were good and true. I would even say things that were beautiful. And, and God, by his mercy, awakened in me uh, through the combination of my family and the teachers that I had, that there was a way of life that was honorable and right. And even though, as a typical teenage boy, I did much that even still I repent of, um, I had a sense because of my teachers and the teaching of my family and the teaching of the church that there was a right way for me to live and a wrong way. I suspect that you could say the same. The scriptures today have been chosen because they are beginning scriptures. They, they, they address moments of beginning. In many ways, the story from the Gospel of John, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, this is the first absolutely clear evidence in the Gospel of John of a woman coming to a living faith from unbelief, uh, beginning to know that God had a wonderful and good purpose for her and that that purpose had drawn near to her in this man that she saw sitting at the well and needing a drink. And so we, we, hear, we hear the story uh, in, in this wonderful fourth chapter 
of Jesus telling her, there is a glorious promise from God for you in me. There's, there, there's something wonderful for you in me. And, and he describes it as the gift of God. Now, when Jesus says the gift of God, he's, he's, he's capturing in a very limited number of words everything that is good. Everything that is true, everything that is right, everything that is glorious, everything that is worthy of praise, everything that is excellent. And he's saying it's, it's yours if you want it. If you ask of me, it's yours. Now, the, 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 the scene unfolds in a dry and, and hot midday in, in the Middle East. And so the image of water is the powerful tool that God was using that day to speak to this woman. You come every day, and I sit here, Jesus is basically saying, I sit here because human life requires water every day. If we don't get water in three days, we're dead. We can live way longer without food than we can live without water. But there's something that you would never have to come and get again talking to you today. There is water available to you, spiritual truth available to you, life available to you, that if you once receive it, it will well up in you forever. What a glorious and wonderful, wonderful promise. And most of you, maybe all of you, know how the story unfolds. We've just read the, the very beginning of it. But it goes from a conversation to conversion. It goes from a conversation in which this woman is being kind and polite, but is being somewhat playful and and, pro, and, and probing and prodding. And gradually the conversation leads to her changed life forever. From this encounter at the well, her life changed forever. Not just for the rest of her earthly life, but forever. And she goes from experiencing that change, the living water, she goes from realizing that the gift of God is being given to her if she asks for it. She goes and shares it, and a whole town will move in the direction of a changed life, a changed heart. In Acts, we see Peter, we hear Peter preaching on that first, uh, first day of Pentecost. When, when the Lord's life on this earth had com been completed, and when he has returned to the Father. And as he told his disciples, when I return to the Father, the gift, the promise of God the Father will be poured out upon all of you who believe. I must return, but when I do, we will send the spirit of the living God to fall upon all of you. Now the figure of the promise is the coming of the spirit which is the same promise that Jesus described to the woman as living water. When the Spirit of God comes, a person is changed. 
not made perfect, but begins a journey that will well up more and more and more and more and more in a desire to be conformed to the will of God unto eternal life. It's just an amazing first sermon. It's always humbling to everyone called to preach. Um, the power of God in Peter's first sermon. But he, he, he declares to those who gather around him, the gift of God has come. The promise of the Father has come. The reality of the day of the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the Son of God, the liber liberator of Israel, it has come. And the world crucified him. And all of us that are here today are complicit. And yet, the promise of God is present to all who call upon the name of the Lord. The moment you ask for the living water, the moment you recognize the reality that is confronting you, the moment you see the gap between your life and the life you're called to live, hopefully a gap that is been in your life because of those who taught you when you were young, when you were small, or who have taught you in the last 29 months. You see the gap. But the beautiful promise, the glorious promise, is ask. Ask. and I will give you living water. Call on the name of the Lord, and you'll be saved. Saved from what? Saved from everything that's taking you away from God's purpose. Saved from everything that is, is distracting you. Saved from everything that is holding you back or pulling you down or causing you to not be one of the Lord's own, helping others to know where the living water is. It seems to me that the desires of most of us uh, have, have been shown to me over a long life to be the desires of almost all people in the whole world. Pe people want a good life. People want a family. People want friends. People want productive work. People want to live in harmony and in peace. On the whole, overwhelmingly, human beings desire these things. And they are good things. They are all good things. And they are the gift of God. But it's possible, and we all know this, to live our lives looking for the good in all the wrong places. There was a song, I don't know how long ago it is, it's in my mind this morning, uh, some popular song, of looking for love in all the wrong places. There's, there's probably a musician or two or someone with a memory that'll tell me who sang it and when. But isn't it how we all are? We, 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 we hope the next event will make us happy and that the last, that'll last. We hope that the next thing that we've got our heart set on purchasing will somehow satisfy 
a hunger deep in us, and it, and it, and it doesn't. We, we, look, we look for lasting joy in all kinds of transient things. We imagine that somehow, in spite of all our life's experience, maybe the next thing I buy will make me happy at last. The next thing I eat, the next relationship. This dear woman at the well had been married five times. But what she wanted, what she longed for, what she yearned for, she had not found. But that day, she found it. We're in the same boat. When I was a child, and many of you were a child, at baptism, always, always, and we grew up, we grew up knowing these words, whether we understood them or not, we knew them, that, that this child that we have just baptized we're praying that that child will come to know God in Christ Jesus and fight. We used to say before it would be so offensive, fight manfully. Whether it was a girl or a boy, would fight, would fight faithfully against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And, and that's the world we live in. And that world does not give us living water, ever, but Jesus does. And today we hear again the sweet and wonderful promise. Ask, and if you mean it, you'll receive. Call on the name of the Lord, and what you've looked for all your life will begin to unfold. But we do have to mean it. And we do have to recognize the gap. And we do have to recognize that we have to confess that 90%, if not more, of all that's gone wrong has to do with us and the need that we have to change. And that's what repentance means. Today at the later service, we'll pray over the kids and we'll pray over the teachers and we do so because we believe in Christ. Christians know children are a gift from God. And the number one responsibility that God gives to his people who receive the gift of children and to his church in its collective life is that we raise those children to know and love the Lord. The world and the flesh and the devil doesn't want that. And yet that's the call of God on our lives. That's our stewardship with these children. And it belongs to the church as well as the individual parents. Cynthia and I were talking earlier this week about this subject and we were facing the reality as we talked that the fundamental problem in much of the country today is the unwillingness of adults to sacrifice for the children. And increasingly we are in a culture that is destroying our children. Destroying them from the purposes of God. Let us join together in prayer today that not only will it be so in our lives that we ask for that living water, long for that living water, 
call on the name of the Lord, yield our lives to the Lord, but that the children that God entrusts to us will come to that same knowledge and that they will have teachers who understand and pray for these things as well. Please, let's pray. Father, we lift up the school systems and the various environments in which the children of this community, the children of our church, our children, our children's children are being taught. We pray that you would grant to to each of them, known and unknown to us, men and women who love you as well as learning. To learn and to grow in understanding is a God-given reality that God longs for. So we come to you, God, asking that they will have teachers who lead them into the truth. And we pray for all those, all those who give their lives as administrators or teachers in the schools, that they would be blessed and assisted, and that the church in this community and this parish would be faithful brothers and sisters to them that we would care for them, work with them, pray for them, encourage them, and if necessary, correct them. We entrust to them the most sacred gift that God has given us when we send them our children. Grant this church to be a faithful witness. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.